Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. I'm coming to you from my sumptuous balcony office in Las Vegas, Nevada, where we at the Business Creators Radio Show connect you with experts who help you serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Today's conversation, oh, I I was just in the green room with this guy, and he's already blowing me away with some of his wisdom and some of the things he wants to share with us. You are going to really enjoy. This is a treat for you. Uh, On the surface, it looks like how to get an IT qualification for free, uh, and that may be part of what we cover. Uh, There's also going to be stuff about tech sales careers. We're also going to get into startups, and candidly, this is one of those ones where I may not be able to pick the official title of it until after we have the interview, because this gentleman you're about to meet is so dynamic and is going to unload such a huge amount of information that you may find different ways of applying in alignment with your own needs and your own truth. Oh my goodness. His name is Joseph Fung. He's the CEO of Uvaro, which is a tales, excuse me, a tech sales career accelerator and of Clyte, if I'm seeing that correctly, my eyes are a little tired today, a sales enablement platform purpose built to provide sales teams with the information they need when they need it. He's a graduate of the University of Waterloo's computer engineering program. Joseph is also a repeat founder and CEO with multiple successful exits and speaks frequently on the topics of sales leadership, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. He is an active early stage investor who ensures the majority of his investments are into women-led companies. Joseph also sits on the board of Communitech, the Golden Triangle Angel Network, and the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony. Wow. Joseph Fung, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, thank you so much for having me here. I love love the the introduction, but man, you set the bar high. This is going to make the conversation really tough. Couldn't you put it a little bit lower for us? Come on. Well, here's the challenge I'm running into right now. I'm not sure if I'm qualified to be here. This is my show. (laughs) (laughs) oh come on this is this is going to be a fun conversation and we're going to riff in a bunch of areas this is going to be a blast absolutely so let's start by i read off that very official bio of yours has a Mm. lot of great statistics in it and i hopefully i pronounced everything right but before we before we get into some of the topics we're going to cover here uh let's uh take a little journey and tell us a little bit about you know what inspirationally brought you to the point where you serve today business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Oh my goodness. What a, what a fun, fun journey. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so much a cliche in so many ways. I'm, I'm an engineer who loves geeking out in business. I built a uh-huh. software startup. Yeah. And that's fun. I'm, you talk to any of my friends, I'm super technical, super logical, but building our teams was always the toughest part and sales was the hardest. And our most recent software company, you know, Kite, the sales enablement platform, we realized that it wasn't just us. Every tech company is struggling to build sales teams. And so when we started helping them, we realized we could transform lives in a way that we, we never knew was possible. And this very logical kind of technocratic, you know, heart has been so impacted by those personal journeys. I can't imagine doing anything else. So we're helping people leave you know, limited, dead-end, or, or even unemployed employment situations and land amazing roles in tech. And it's just such a joy. It is such a delight. Great, great, great. So uh, let's define some terms here just real quick so that mm-hmm. our listeners will better understand what we're talking about. Uh, what is Uvaro? Uvaro is a tech sales accelerator. And I mean, that's the subtitle. 
We run a training program. We help people learn how to sell technology. We introduce them to amazing tech companies. And the part that's so cool is we don't require any kind of upfront tuition. So unlike college or university where you gotta pay that big check and, and carry a bunch of debt, uh, we don't charge anything upfront. Uh, the vast majority of our students, they only pay once they land a high paying job and then they can pay it off over two years. So it's just such a great enabler. Wow. So you got to tell me more about that strategy and that business model of how do you make that work? Uh, I'm, I'm going to take the position of a complete neophyte so that my, my mind is fully open to what you're going to share. Totally. The, I mean, the two big things are how long does it take? So how long do we need to take that risk? And then what's the success rate? And we hear every day people who, you know, who go to college, go to university, don't land a role. Tech companies need people in sales and customer success roles so badly that they're hiring really quickly. So our average grad goes through our 12 week program and then lands their new role within 17 days afterwards. So the risk for us is actually pretty lean. It's not like the same as a, you know, three year or four years at college or university. And because it's happening all the time, employers reach out to us every day looking for great new talent. So that keeps our incentives really aligned with our students. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, I guess what I want to do is sort of gradually bring these threads together. We did the introduction here. And one of which is, is you know, we're dealing with startup cultures here as part of our conversation. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your views on startup culture, having been involved with startups with successful exits. That's, that's a combination you don't see nearly as often as you should. And I know you've identified some elements of a startup culture that we want to be aware of. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. It's, I mean, I, I speak about these and, and I chat about them with a, a strong sense of, of passion and joy. I love building companies. That's why I've done it many times why I invest in them. But there's some really interesting, uh, what's the right word, idiosyncrasies that are I think really helpful for people to understand, especially if anyone's looking at, you know, a tech or a sales role there. Um, and, and I mean, I guess here's, here's a good way to, to think about it. You've got a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners in your podcast. Um, and, and I know that you've had a ton of great interviews recently about, you know, building careers and, and job searching. But one of the things that's really worth anchoring in is that that founder, that entrepreneur starts off by doing everything themselves. Yes. And, yeah, it, it, so they, they have a lot of pride in that. They, they know how it should function. And one of the biggest mistakes they can make is hiring someone, like hiring their first sales rep and saying, hey, just, just follow me, do it how I did it. You know, learn by job shadowing. Because the reality is just by definition, they can't. And startups, really early stage, one of the biggest challenges in the culture is that that founder has to be comfortable saying the way I did it to get here is not the way that's needed to get us to the next stage. So you're always struggling with that element of, hey, how do I learn from the founder? How do I emulate the founder? But also, how do I carve out that brand new way to do it? That's one of the biggest challenges that people don't always anticipate going in. They think they can learn from an amazing founder, they can emulate them, but the reality is they can't. Just that agreement with the customers of the market is so different for a founder than it is for an employee who comes in. Yeah, and I found that sometimes that tends to go both ways. Uh, dealing with startups myself, I have found founders who expect that they're the people they hire to just sort of follow their lead and emulate yeah, them. Totally. And, uh, and I don't fault them for that because what we see sometimes are folks who get into startups who are jumping off a career in corporate that took them to the managerial or director level, sometimes even above. Mm -hmm. So they're used to the way corporate cultures have been, uh, some are now beginning to say used to be with the combination of hierarchy and roles, all that stuff. And when they start their startup, they're programmed to emulate the follow the leader thing. So take your cues from your manager if you want to survive politically. Uh, do what the company has done before so that you don't catch the flack. I have an analogy that I share with my clients who have startups, whether they're uh, my Business Creators Institute clients or they're my clients who are starting podcasts as their networking and client attraction celebrity branding tool. 
is to think about this story of, and maybe you've heard this one, maybe you haven't, mm-hmm. of a guy who loves his wife's roast. <laughs> and he notices that when his wife puts the roast in the pan, she cuts off the ends of it. Now, she's told him that, yeah, my mother taught me this trick. And when you cut the ends off, it allows the juices to get in. It makes it much more tender, much more delicious. It's just the way we've always done it. It's the way my mother taught me to do it. Now, well, a couple of weeks later, his mother-in-law stops by. So he figures he'll ask the source. And his mother-in-law says, well, yeah, yep, I learned that from my mother. Uh, she taught me that when you cut off the ends, it allows the juices to get through and it makes it the easier to eat, uh, makes it uh, much more delicious, much more tender. So I cut the ends off. Well, son of a gun, wouldn't you know it? Her mother was still around, 98 years old, full of vim and vinegar, and they saw her at Thanksgiving dinner. So he got a moment with his grandmother-in-law, and he started to tell the story uh, about, well, you know, your, your granddaughter said, and your mother says, yeah, yeah. They don't know what they're talking about. During the Depression, we couldn't afford a bigger pants. So we cut the ends off so it would fit. <laughs> <laughs> the, point, the point being is a lot of these rules and regulations and processes and flowcharts are permanent overreactions to temporary blips on the radar, mm-hmm. often driven by somebody who wants to be seen in their title role as doing something. It's, it's totally true. And you're right. We, we can't hold that against the, the founder or the entrepreneur. Right. But it is a big logical fallacy, too. Like, it, it, we'll make it personal. So I'm sure you get hit up by, you know, outreach emails, phone calls all the time. I'm sure your inboxes. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, I'd love just a kind of a, a quick thought exercise. How do you feel when you get an email that says, you know, something like, hey, Adam, I'm a recent founder who listens to your show. I've got this cool new product that's going to make your job easier. Could I hop on a quick call to get some feedback and, and maybe you'll learn something new? Guys, I've actually, I've actually yeah. written articles about how using the phrase hop on a quick call or hop on a Zoom real quick is a guaranteed way to initiate yourself to a bright vista future of being red checked. <laughs> hundred percent. But think about the emotional feeling and now compare that to a sales rep who reaches out that says, Hey, Adam, I'm, I'm a rep at company ABC and we've got a solution. You can use your podcast. How would you like to hop on a quick call? Like the difference. Dep- depend, depending on my mood, I might, I might think, Oh God, no. Or I might at least say, eh, tell me more. I know. And the fact that that mood makes a difference is a big one. And the fact that it's a founder versus a sales rep makes a big difference. Right. And people want founders, they want business, you know, entrepreneurs to succeed. They're, they're rooting for the underdog. Well, very few people are rooting for the sales rep. So if you're that founder and you're that entrepreneur, it's really important you realize that you've had that advantage as you started your company, you founded your company. The rules of the game are really different for your employees who come on. So when they're cutting the ends off the, the roast there, it's also because they're playing under different rules. Right. So basically, let me just rewind this for a second. And I just want to make sure that I heard correctly. And I respond. I mean, my reactions here were natural, of course. But Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I heard this is it was the second email that was coming from the sales rep. Or was it the second email coming from the founder? No, a second one from the sales rep, you know, super professional saying, hey, I think I could solve your problem. But not that same sense of personal connection or, or wanting to help that underdog. Oh, I see. I see. I see what you mean. And, and that was the one. And that was the one that actually uh, got me to at least say, huh, "Okay, tell me more." Well, there you go. I mean, that that worked out a little bit more for you. I think reps are uh, listening uh, to uh, the uh, caller. Yeah, at least the door's not closed. Uh, they could set. They could send me something that makes me think, "Wow." And I mm-hmm. and I could do and I could do any one of number of things with it. I could be interested in a demo. I could be interested in trying it out. I could. Uh, I have another podcast I'm eventually going to be starting here called the Podcast Creators Radio Show that has a category that's going to have a category for guests who provide solutions to podcasters. They may get a, they may get a spot in that lineup, which which avails them to my market and my audience. There you go. I mean, the the the, the niche, the micro targeting and targeting really specific niches is uh, is definitely a way to go. But uh, 
if, if you've launched that podcast, you're going to be inundated with guests. Uh, I recently launched my second and uh, the one I just mentioned, the podcast creators radio show is going to be the third. Who knows? By the time somebody's listening to this, it might already be live because it's coming up pretty soon here. Who knows? The nature of these uh, episodes is sometimes they get listened to two years later. So you might be listening to history. If you've subscribed to business creators radio show and your favorite syndication network, you're just now getting caught up. Who knows? Uh, But uh, yeah, let me, now let me uh, throw one in your direction. Um, Okay, so you mentioned the idea of can we hop on a call real quick? And you bifurcated two different ways to change the voice mm-hmm. and the tone, which can potentially open a conversation rather than slam a door. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my little aha moments that I wrote down here, believe it or not. So what about, uh, you know, let's say you're on social media and, uh, you know, you somebody comes along, they send you a connection request or a friend request and you know, they look good. Yeah, you seem to have a bunch of mutuals with them, so it's probably the same network. So even though you don't know them, you say, ah, what the heck, except. Mm-hmm. Then two seconds later, you get the direct message. It's about nine inches long. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And right now I'm offering free strategy sessions. Right? I, every time I see those, the voice in my head is like the, the teacher from the peanuts. Peanuts, blah, 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 yes. Blah, blah. Yeah. yes, yes. That, that kind of LinkedIn outreach, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I, uh, I'll let you and all of our listeners in on a secret that I've let my listeners in on many times is if you're struggling with hop on the phone real quick, let's hop on a zoom. Would you like to do a free strategy session? Start a podcast. So Matt, so imagine now I approach you and I say, Hey, Hey, Joseph, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, I checked out your company, Uvaro, and I saw that post you made the other day about the uh, the elements of a startup culture. And this is something that my audience, I think, they'd love. Would you like to come on my podcast? Totally. What you're doing there is exactly what we we talk about, we emphasize. I love that you highlighted that tip. We, yeah. We, we don't talk about podcasts specifically, but we talk about giving value. Because right. what you've just done there is you haven't come out and said, hey, come buy my product. What you've done is helped me with what I want to accomplish. You had my message, get get more connections, tell the world you're giving value. And if you give value first, especially with no expectation return, you know, not the whole, hey, join me as a guest and, and buy my product, by the way. Uh, yeah. But just come join me. No, no assumption of return. That value comes back to you so much more. So yeah, leading with value, 100%. If, right. if anyone's leading into this and, and they're listening and they should definitely double 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 click on that launch a podcast give value start with that because you'll be way more successful right right that's that that's why through our podcast reach system we encourage people to do that. that's why i actually launched one of my podcasts yes the cat's out of the bag the intention is to open conversations and what better way in my opinion to open mm-hmm. conversations than to put reciprocity and value up front yes so instead of Hey, can you you want to do a free strategy session with me where I'll pretend to give you advice until I get to the point where I pitch you? Or would you like to hop on a call real quick where I'll tell you about the exciting things I'm doing and hope you volunteer yourself as a client? Or would you like to come on board, have a conversation, get an introduction to my entire tribe, and let's do something to make a difference for our mutual community market and audience and see what we can do to make the world a better place with us in it? That is it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how, that's how I look at it. So uh, you mentioned something to shift gears a little bit uh, about something called sales generational change. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? And uh, how does that impact being successful in sales today? Yeah, it's, it's so funny because if people come to us and they talk about, uh, you know, how, how is selling, how is selling different? You know, how, how have things changed? And people often get caught up in the, the demographic generations. They're like, Hey, right. Jet, you know, Gen Z's, millennials, they, they got to sell differently, right? You know, am I, am I supposed to, you know, reach out to people on LinkedIn or, or get them on Instagram and slide into the DMs? Um, that's, that's not actually a big difference. Uh, yes, there are nuances and differences in those. And I'm not going to ignore that. The thing I think a lot of people miss is that we are currently in the middle of a generational change in the way sales yeah. happens. Um, an easy one to look at and people can use to check their frame of references to think about marketing. You know, it, we all know there was an, 
you know, a before time where marketing was, hey, mad men put, you know, some advertising up, brand awareness, you're kind of hand waving, you know, Don Draper. Is, yeah, totally. I, 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 I've studied that man's ta tactics. And while they don't all fit in today's world, everybody should study him. Uh, there is something there. It just in many cases needs adapted to where we are now. And, and we need to add to it like we and the flip side, we all know that now, you know, you you mention something on social media, you, you talk too close to Siri or Google Assistant, and now ads are following you everywhere. Like uh -huh. you, you have a conversation about craft dinner. Now you're getting craft dinner ads everywhere. Uh, marketing is very much a science. It's automated. You know where the leads come from. You know what they cost. Marketing can't hide behind, you know, hey, brand awareness. They need to deliver an ROI. So most business owners and entrepreneurs we talk to, they get that, you know, internalize it, they understand the same change is coming to sales and we're in the middle of it. And that's super cool and super scary because you can't just hide behind, you know, this, you can't see my finger, scare quotes, sales skills or, or salespersonsmanship, like all that stuff, because everything can be measured, you know. Like you said, that idea of, hey, uh, can we hop on a quick call? Does that work? Does it not work? Do your subject lines work? Should you have one word or 10 words? Should you call it 9 a.m. or 5 p.m.? Should your calls be five minutes, 20 minutes? Uh huh. <laughs> All of that is measured. It's a science. And to really win, to build your sales team, you have to think about it like a science. And as a sales rep, you need to think about tracking everything because that's going to give you the information to really nail it. It is such a science. And that if you get that and if you really internalize that, you will outsell your competition because this change is happening now. And again, it's like a once in a generation change. It is such a fun time. Right, right. Here's an example I love to give. And this is one of my clients. Um, if they're tuning in, yes, I'm referring to you and you know this. <laughs> All right. So they uh, they love to be, they're, they're, the, they're the CEO of their company and they love to be in tune with how their marketing performing metrics are doing. So they have one of their assistants create a detailed report, which is reviewed every Friday. Awesome. I review the reports too, and I use it to gain intelligence for my curation role with this client. So anyway, uh, they were concerned that their weekly e-newsletter dropped 2% in open rates for one week. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they went on for that for a couple of minutes. I said, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to look at the very next line on that same report. And what you're going to see is an email that had the subject line where literally the subject line was just the person's first name. The entire email was one sentence. The, uh, the what's known as the, uh, the nine, the nine word question. Mm -hmm. And that one had a 28% open rates and it generated more sales of that thing that we're discussing. I'm going to keep this somewhat evergreen and anonymous. That thing we're discussing than the newsletter did. Yeah, because you took two different approaches to accommodate two different audiences. There are some folks who love the idea of a curated newsletter, and that is like the grand central station of everything they're going to consume that week. Uh, E-newsletters are not dead. In fact, there is an audience that loves them more than an email every day. Yes. At the same time, there are folks who will say, okay, well, this email, the subject line is my name. Okay. Oh. Joseph, oh, gee, I wonder if that's auto-populated, but at the same time, it's my name, so I'll click on it. And then there's one nine-word thought-provoking question with a link under it. Well, if that question has raised my curiosity, I'm at least going to click on the link to see what's going on. There are some audiences that respond to that, just the facts, let's get down to brass tacks, let's look at what's really going on type approach. So I believe they both have room to exist. Hundred percent. I love that. That that nine more question is a fantastic one. And the part that's so cool is that a lot of sales leaders, a lot of business owners, go into this saying, "Hey, I need to I need to read somebody else's blog, listen to somebody else's podcast to find these nuggets and then apply it to mine." And the real subtext is that every company, every company, if you have one sales rep, you've got enough, is generating enough data to make these insights themselves. They don't have to rely on other people. So yeah. if your listeners, they might be sitting in, they might go, hey, that, that nine word question doesn't work for me. And that's okay, because it might not with their market, but there are enough emails, enough phone calls coming out of your company that if you have the right tech and you're measuring that, 
you can find out what are the questions and the words that work for you. And that's super cool because it, this is available now, but it's early innings. Most companies aren't doing this. So now's the time to take advantage of those. Right. So going back to this example, and then I want to circle uh, around to where we were before is uh, what we discovered here is this is an example, one of several examples I've generated that mm -hmm. the taking the corporate, highly polished professional approach isn't the only thing the audience is looking for. And yeah, you might get one or two people who say, oh, I uh, don't send me those nine word emails with my name in the subject line. That's a stupid hokey marketing tactic. Okay. Maybe they're not your, and, and this is, this is where I like to attempt to blow people's minds. I say, okay, they may not belong on your list at all because they opened it. They noticed it was a nine word question. And that question was in no way pertinent to them. Uh, regardless of whether they uh, their mindset is Harvard Business Review or Zappos or anything in between, they're a human being that reacts and responds based on their truth, which is formed by their experiences, their education, and what has formed them into who they are. Just because they look like a Harvard professor does not mean they don't get all geeked out over super modern tech. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and another lens to take a look at it, and, and here's a good challenging one uh, for any listeners who are a, a business owner or an entrepreneur. Here's an, another kind of startup, you know, culture thing to, to consider and, and hold that mirror to yourself. So much of what happens as you're scaling a company is actually in service of the the ego of the founders. And of course, I, I have say, it. Yeah, I yeah. have it. And 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 the thing is, I acknowledge it. And I take it and I move it over on one side and I say, there's an, there's an egocentric energy there. So I don't let it dominate me, but it's there. I feel it. I'm aware of it. And I know it's something I can go to and tap into when it's beneficial to me. Go and on. that's the thing. So many people don't realize it. You know, they, they, they say things like to choose your earlier example, they, they tell their marketing team, Hey, no, we're a big, we're a growing company. We need a really good looking newsletter. It's gotta be you know, spelling has to be perfect. The graphics have to work on mobile and web and, and you get this roll up that's safe and, and they look at and, and they feel proud. They're like, Hey, good. Look at the company that we've built, but it, uh -huh. they haven't actually focused on the business outcome. And it, it's really important. Founders check that uh, yeah. love, love that you do. And so many don't, unfortunately, I have, I have another client uh, where, and yes, Dan, this one's about you. And I've told this story in one of my books. Um, <laughs> so uh, he's, he's one, he's one of my regular listeners. So uh, he used to send a weekly newsletter. And the subject line always began with his name, which, as you know, starts with the letter D. So you know that if you have not cleared your cache on your computer and you go to a form field you used the week before, if you just type the letter, it will give you options, including what you typed there last time. Mm -hmm. So what he would do is he would just type lowercase d, click on what popped up, and then oh, modify no. the end of it to reflect, oh, no. you know, where this is going. He sent out a <laughs> newsletter where the subject line was the lowercase letter D. Uh, he ended up making five sales of his program and seeing his open rates jump by 13%. Wow. And, love not, that. And, not, and not one person chastised him on it. Here's the reason why, in my opinion. Pattern interrupt. Uh, they, they're not yeah. used to seeing that. So they'll check it out. And it turned out that the, the value of the content in his newsletter is extremely high quality. He's a high quality guy. He does not mm -hmm. put out fluff. It's valuable stuff. And so that little error, that unforced error, snap people out of, oh, okay, here's another one of Dan's newsletters. Wait a minute. He sent something to lowercase d. Now, who knows? Maybe they want to see what else he messed up. Maybe they're thinking, ah, he might be pulling some NLP tactics on me. All right, let's see what he's doing. Either way, it got people curious. So the occasional mistake can benefit you. Now, you remember back in the days when every marketer would send an email and then 15 minutes later, they would say what? They'd send a follow-up said, oops, I sent you the wrong link. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you something else about D here. He has a policy about that as well, is that um, if uh, he ever sends out an email and the link is broken, he will not send a correction. And here's how and here's how he views it. Number one, 
everybody screws up. Number two, people are already getting enough email. They don't need to see more. And number three, if they're actually curious enough, they're going to write back and say, hey, I'm trying to click on this link. What's up? Now he's open to conversation. This leads me to another uh, anecdote I have. Uh, this is another team I worked with last year. They were doing a JV with somebody to, uh, to put on an eight-week program. Uh, the other, the external JV partner was aware that the website promoting the program would be going live a week from Tuesday. To their own list, they sent an email with the link of what the website was going to be, which took them to the, uh, the cPanel Nothing's Here page. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the you know, our client side of it was freaking like freaking out. Like, well, wasn't the site supposed to be done? No, we said a week from Tuesday. Uh, and and they sent this email out. And it makes us look bad. And so we went to the other uh, JV partner, and they said, "Yeah, you told me the website would be up a week from Tuesday, and I'm fully confident that you're going to deliver. I just didn't want to wait. The way I see it." is um, anybody that clicked on it is curious. So let them contact me and I'll just close them on the phone. Love it. Uh, You can't do that every time. That takes a certain type of mindset, uh, confidence in and alignment with your mission, vision, goals, and your value. But I'm just saying uh, for those who freak out about the possibility of one little error, I wanted to give a couple examples of egregious things happening that had very positive results. And it's not even just the the positive results because it happens. It it doesn't always. It, the The reality though is that desire to protect. You know, it's that that whole like psychology study. Like you don't want to lose something you already have. Like like losing a dollar costs more to people than gaining a dollar, even though it's the same value. People, especially entrepreneurs, are so worried about losing what they've built, and it's easy to forget that. The real value in your company, you know, the real opportunity is all of the sales, all the customers that you don't have yet. Like the, the reputation you have, the brand awareness that you have already actually isn't nearly as valuable as what you have yet to build. So you got to be okay risking those because otherwise you're not going to grow. Right, right. Uh, and, I th- and, and, and just to close this point. I, it's been my contention for a long time that when it comes to quality control and making sure that all the links work and everything's spelled right and and the messaging is perfect and we're doing and we're sending out the outreach emails the ideal time of day et cetera et cetera et cetera et cetera statistically you are actually more likely to gain by simply absorbing the occasional error than even doing anything about it. Yeah. Now if it starts now if it starts to become a problem where every single time there's a screw up then yeah, you got to get your quality control in because you can't be sloppy either. But if the slightest little deviation triggers five rounds of meetings, an entire review of the process, more flow charts and more policy statements, yeah, then uh, you're actually moving away from money is how I look at it. That's it exactly. Like five hours, you know, testing and editing that email, is that really going to improve your conversion rate? versus spend those five hours experimenting with new campaigns. See what else you yeah. learn, what else you can drum up. Yeah. Right, right. And, uh, and on the uh, question of, well, that's sending too many emails. Here's, an, here's, a, here's another statement I, I like to say. Uh, bear in mind that, the, pers- that the, the few people that can't handle getting a volume of emails, the A, they're not resonating with it because they're probably not the audience for it anyway. So it's probably best they leave. And they're going to squawk the loudest because that's what they do. In the meantime, you have the person who is quietly consuming your content, opening four out of 10 of your emails and just noticing you sent the other six. So you're maintaining that brand and name awareness in the meantime. And they're absorbing, they're forming questions, they're visioning. And statistically, it's going to take them a year to raise their hand and say, yes, I might be interested in a conversation about this. So you scale back your you scale back and mute yourself because a couple people say it's too much for them. Totally. How I, I, is that doing a service for so you, the customers you're planning down the road? When you plant a sapling, you don't expect an oak tree the next day. It, it's funny because it's both about the timing, but it's also about what they choose to optimize for. Like right. So so a way to think about it is entrepreneurs. We care a lot about our companies deeply and we want everyone to like us, to like our products. It's very natural. But if you, if we, 
an easier example, a really easy one is like pricing. If you wanted to optimize for everyone to like your pricing, you'd set it at zero dollars. No one's going to complain. You know, everyone loves zero dollars. Exactly. Yeah. But if you set your price at $100, $1,000, $10,000, the higher you push it, the more people are going to push back. And a lot of entrepreneurs make that mistake. They're like, oh, no, somebody said no because of pricing. We have to lower our pricing. You're like, no, that, that's, that's further from the truth. Like, that is a data point to help you learn where that edge is. And yeah, there's going to be some people for whom that price is too much, but you got to find that boundary. If you optimize to make everyone happy, mm -hmm. you're going to pull yourself all the way to the bottom. And the truth, that's true for things like your email open rates, your reply rates, conversions. People don't act the same. So you can't just respond to one data point, two data points. You've got to find that edge and find that boundary. So it's, you know, are you, are you trying to optimize things to make everyone happy? Well, yeah, that's going to bring you to zero dollars. Or are you trying to optimize things to grow your business? And for some people, they're just not going to be the right fit. And that's okay. That's part of building a company. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I was uh, I saw a man on the street recently and he was selling watermelons and his price list was one watermelon for three and three for 10. So young man stopped by and asked to buy one, one watermelon. And the guy said, that'll be three dollars. Well, the young man then buys another one and another one paying three dollars for each. And as the young man is walking away, he turns around and grins and says, hey, old man, do you realize I just bought three watermelons for only nine dollars? Maybe business isn't your thing. And the old man smiles and mumbles to himself. People are funny. Every time they buy three watermelons instead of one, yet they keep trying to teach me how to do business. <laughs> I love it. I've seen so many studies about pricing and how things that don't even logically make sense actually drive conversions. Mm -hmm. and, if, uh, and if your savvy buyer thinks, oh, I'm getting one over on Joseph. Well, meanwhile... Joseph has his spreadsheets and his numbers that show that that's his sweet spot. That's, that's this, yeah, this, yeah. This 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 man's act. Yeah, this watermelon salesman salesman. Yeah, I didn't actually see a watermelon guy in the street. This is an old thing that's been going around for a long time, and you've probably heard it. Uh, but he figured he figured out that his optimal pricing margin was in fact three dollars per watermelon. So when people bought three. That just tripled his margins. Uh, if he sold three for 10, then yeah, maybe he might get one over on somebody. But if somebody felt like they were getting one over him when they bought three watermelons, when you know, when's the last time you bought more than one watermelon? Admit it. <laughs> this guy's selling watermelons in the meantime. It, you know, the, the summer is getting warmer and, and my kids would love it if I was buying three watermelons at a time. So yeah. I, I have to go and find that guy. Uh, but let, let me give you one that's similar. It's a real story, personal experience, similar, uh, not watermelons, but software. Um, one of the things, so we, we built HR software, you know, and that space is as exciting as it sounds, you know, tracking time off, you know, vacation requests, you know, payroll, job titles, that kind of stuff. Uh, we had multiple pricing tiers and it was really easy to start like five bucks a user a month. We had a 15 bucks a user a month, a 25 bucks a user a month. And, one of the things we spent time digging into was what's the right, you know, what's the right set of features, the right set of functions to split those up. And, you know, we looked at all sorts of different ways. And at the end of the day, what we did was we took a look at it from the perspective of where does the friction happen? Like, where do people get a little bit frustrated? Where do they feel like they need to switch? Uh, not, not friction in the sense of unfairness, but where they really need to reach out and so what we did was on that $5 package, we started reducing the features. We wanted to see when do people reach out to us? When do people say, hey, I need this feature? And the interesting thing is we had about 200 different features. And the one that people would reach out most to us when we disabled it was adding types of time off. Like we shipped with sick time, vacation time. But when people wanted to add their own time, maybe it was... Uh, you know, medical time, personal time, right. whatever. Uh, that's when they would reach out. They say, hey, why, why don't I have that feature? How do I add more types of time off? And the companies who were reaching out about that, asking about that, were also the ones who were willing to increase the price. It was just enough of a friction point, they'd reach out. They were motivated enough to reach out. A lot of early stage entrepreneurs and startups, they hear that, they're like, oh, people are reaching out. I, I need to add that feature because people are unhappy. 
no, they're reaching out because they want to get more value from the solution. And so for us, that told us that's where we actually need to put that line on the features. And that improved all of our conversion rates. Our customers are happier. They felt like they were getting more value. You know, they moved from five to $15, but they get all these other features too. But what triggered it was adding a type of time off. And every company is generating that kind of data. Whether you're a software company or like a lawn maintenance company, you're sending out emails, you're sending out messages, you're calling people, you've got this data. It's just treating it as sales data, you know, not just logs and junk that's, that's you know, taking up disk space. Yeah, uh, if, and if somebody is looking for a baseline way to try and find us, go look at their competitors and see what their customers are saying, boy, I wish they could do this, or it's a great product except for X. And totally. when you start to see those trends, that's your, that's your thing. I, I'm in the business of working with entrepreneurs to launch and host their podcasts. So I have a thousand competitors in that space. I interviewed two of them today for upcoming episodes of my other podcast. Two of them in one day. That's, that's, how, that's how many there are. And I've occasionally had folks come to me and look at the podcast reach model and shake their head at it and say, do you actually know your competitors? And then they start naming names of my competitors like, oh, I've never heard of Steve Olsher, for example, because uh, that, that's a name that's very well known in the podcasting world. Like, gee, I've never heard of him. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm friends with one of his assistants. But anyway, I, I've never heard of the guy. Uh, yeah, he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. And I can name uh, 10 others uh, if I wanted to uh, competitors in my space. But the thing is, yeah, I do know who they are. And I'm interested in what they're doing in as much as I want to see what gaps they're leaving. 100%. Like a good example, Adam, we were just talking about that earlier. I, I was complimenting you about how you talk about your upcoming guests on your website. Yeah. And for me as a guest, that is huge because I want to know how, you know, where can I deliver value? How can I fit into the the story you're creating? And the, the, the reality is you can learn so much by what the competitors are not doing. Because if, if I know you haven't asked, but in case somebody had asked, and, and I'll share this, one of the things that gets me frustrated, like as a guest on, on podcasts is I want to help, you know, spread the word, talk about the episode, promote it, not having any idea when it's going to come out is a point of frustration. And seeing that clarity on, on your site, the way you run it makes it way easier for me to, to not just be confident as a guest, but also, you know, promote and share it. So as people are launching their podcasts and they're, they're launching ideas, that's a great way to you know, talk to the customers, talk to the competitors, see where those frustrations are, because it's going to give you a path to success. And, and I think you're, you're living and breathing it every day, Adam. The thing about announcing upcoming episodes was an accident. Uh, this, when we created the Business Creators Radio Show back in 2013, uh, I just acquired a WordPress theme that had three widgets on the front page and needed something to do with one of them. So I thought, Okay, since we're going to be encouraging people to sign up to syndication networks, we're going to be trying to get them on our list, we're going to be trying to use this to open conversations, then we might as well have them listen to one episode and then give them another reason for to come back or to subscribe to it, to get push notified when we're doing something else. And uh, we can see how that's driven our numbers over time. It was, it was an accident. I just had a space and needed something to do with it. And I figured, well, you know, we usually know who the next few are going to be. Sometimes we know when the next 10 are going to be. Sometimes we're at the point where we're recording them and then punching them right out because our can is too low. doesn't matter. <laughs> the fact is there's something there. And you know what? I bet if we asked that watermelon salesperson, he'd say that that pricing was an accident too, but it's still a great business choice. And, and I totally agree with, with listening to the upcoming episodes too. Good choice. Yeah. I, I, 10 to 1, the watermelon guy meant to write 4 for 10. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, yes. then it, and, it, and it took a while for him to notice that the sign was incorrect and he had a few people tittering and laughing at him meanwhile he's selling three watermelons when a typical buyer buys one watermelon at a time unless they're throwing a kid's birthday party with 50 people on july 15th <laughs> yes so that so that's where we have there now one thing i keep trying to get back to and i know we're running towards the end of this is you know you meant you know you mentioned generations and here's what i wanted to ask you about that you have millennials gen xers gen wires gen zers mm -hmm. gen every letter of the alphabet so you have different 
ways of communicating, different ways of assigning values. One of the things that I share when I discuss outreach strategies uh, is that the idea of cold calling people is certainly not dead. On the other hand, you also have statistics that show that the vast majority, we're talking well over two thirds, will not even listen to a voicemail if they know the caller. One of the very common behaviors that we see, particularly young, among younger generations and starting to spread upward is, uh, let's say I call you and you recognize my number. Mm -hmm. You just don't answer it. But then two minutes later, I get a message from you that says, saw you called, what's up? <laughs> I, I laugh because it's so true. It's so true. And you, you see this in business sales too, like not even just consumer, but B2B as well. It's, it is a tough one. And navigating those is a challenge. Um, the, the part that's so interesting, we hear a lot of people. So again, we get people who have been selling all sorts of things from motorcycles to advertising, or maybe they were you know, bartenders or in travel and they get into our program and they want to know how is it different selling technology? And they're worried about that same thing. Like, hey, you know, if I'm selling HR technology, maybe I'm selling to, to more, you know, mature buyers or experienced buyers, or if I'm selling cryptocurrencies or, or stuff like that, I'm going to be selling to, you know, more, you know, edgier buyers. The part that's so interesting is that the, the big thing is not about characterizing your message by the generation. It's about internalizing, go meet the buyer where they are. I end up having conversation. It is, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time, you know, founders all the time, and it blows their mind. I'll say, hey, yeah, I end up chatting with prospects. Sometimes we're chatting on uh, Instagram, you know, DMs, and that, that's where we're booking our next meeting. Or, you know, with others, yeah, I've got to pick up the phone and give them a call. Or, or with others, yeah, I'm sending them an email or sending on LinkedIn messaging. The, the reality is you got to go where people are and you got to be comfortable with that. You can't just assume one channel works. You have to be comfortable using mm -hmm. all of them. Because if you aren't, your competitors sure are. So you got to get comfortable with it. Yeah, I, when I went to Duquesne University and got my MBA, my concentration was human resource management. My original plan was to become a, uh, a training development director for a Fortune 100. I've told this story 100 times. But I'm going to take it in a different direction for you today. Right after I completed that HR curriculum, and I got my MBA in 2002 just to date it and uh, so people can get an understanding of what the best practices being taught were at the time. Uh, I remember my HR professor, Dr. Dr. Jay Leibowitz, I'll say his name, he's an awesome dude. Uh, and I remember the very last class I had with him before I finished the MBA. And he said, well, so-and-so other professor uh, cornered me in the hall the other day. And he said, you know, what you're teaching these people doesn't really matter because HR isn't really HR anymore. And he was being told this by a 73-year-old guy. <laughs> so I thought about that and I'm thinking, did I just back the wrong horse? But what, <laughs> but, but what the, but what the elder statesman was telling my professor is very simply is that he saw some changes and trends and how human resources being handled in the workplace. And one of the things that was just beginning to be predicted back then, this turned out to be a major thing over the past two decades is the movement to outsource your human resources. And I can tell you, I know three people who own uh, outsource human resource agencies. Uh, one of them was a guest on Business Creators Radio Show. Another one is actually a current client of mine who owes me deliverables so we can finish his project for the reason these are two of the most swamp people I know in terms of how busy they are. Because that is, that is one industry that is just booming right now is outsource human resources. And that goes and that goes with the trend. Human resources, I think what that elder statesman meant by HR isn't HR anymore is you're gonna see a lot less of, you go down the hall and you knock on the generalist door and ask questions about your benefits. Now you call the outsource agency or you go to a website portal and get your questions answered there. Like 100%. And in all honesty, I mean, we, we talk about how challenging the the pandemic and, and work from home and everything is, but it's accelerated this change because yeah, companies are hiring people everywhere. So here, uh, I'll give you some data. This is, you're not going to get this anywhere else. It's purely internal. Um, we crawl all, all of the major public job boards and we're looking for sales roles for our students because we, we do yeah. matching, we help, you know, help them with a the job search. Before the pandemic, so about 12 months ago, you know, what we saw was the sales roles were posted 
it was about 5% of them were flagged as remote, like work remotely. In tech, people wanted you in the pit where you can high five, someone rings a gong or a bell. Uh Now it's like 80% are flagged as remote open. And that means, you know, you're not competing with the person who's down the road. You're not competing with the person in the, you know, down the street, you're competing with the person in the next state, in the next country. It's, it's a very different world. And it's, it's super interesting. So that outsourced comment on HR absolutely makes sense. You're hiring everywhere, anywhere, but everything that is not a core competency, you know, building your product, servicing your clients is getting outsourced. We see companies reaching out to us to say, Hey, can you've got all these great sales reps as grads. Can, can we just outsource our sales to you? We see companies doing that from, you know, not just HR, not just sales, but things like your finance activities, heck your facilities, even your events management. So that idea of working with an outside agency who can possibly do it more efficiently and hire people anywhere they are. Yeah, that is definitely going to be continuing. So for business owners, uh, I'd encourage you to not just think about the HR side that, that you were talking about, Adam, but also the rest of your business. That's not the core competency. Well, two points I make about that. Um, Jordan Belfort is now hosting sales trainings in his home. He wasn't really doing that two years ago. So uh, and this, this is the guy who would speak in front of audiences of 10,000, and now he's bringing them to his home. So there's one shift right there that was noticeable to me. And another is, uh, you know, we're seeing people that uh, recognize their role is now remote and is probably going to remain remote for the foreseeable future. And you're seeing two subtrends under that. The first is, well, the company's trying to order them back to their cubicle in the bullpen. They say, no, I'm staying home. Oh, yeah. and if uh, oh, and if I can't work remotely, uh, just so you know, I've had job offers from companies that will let me work remotely for them. So what's it going to be? So you have that. And then you have people, let's say in California, for instance, uh, and uh, they their job has been switched to remote since California is uh, one of the states that's taking the longest to get things back to quote unquote normal, however you define that. Those folks are saying, hey, looks like I may never, never be going back to the office again. So, you know what? Let's move to Louisiana. And now the company's <laughs> saying, oh, you live in Louisiana now. Well, you're going to take a pay cut because the standard of living is different there. Like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You hired me at $120,000 because that's what it was worth for, for you to hire me and my skills and my expertise. It doesn't matter where I'm at. So, even though I'm in Louisiana, where the standard of living would let me have the same lifestyle as seventy thousand, uh, no, 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 no. You keep paying me the hundred and twenty, or um, I'm speaking with your other competitor who's going to offer me a hundred and thirty. What's it going to be? It, it's a crazy time right now. You're right because the, that, that Microsoft study, that recent one, thirty percent of workers are looking to look and move into a new role as soon as the pandemic eases up. Wow, that's yeah. going to be a big turnover. Um, I see it in my own portfolio. The companies I've invested in. All of them are reducing their office space. Most of them, on like on average, they're reducing it by seventy five percent because a lot of their people don't want to come back. Even right. for us, like we're we're one hundred percent remote now. Our only real estate is a a five by ten storage locker for our trade show stuff. Uh, and yeah, the, well, the part that's so interesting, and I'm not saying this with like a, a you know crystal ball and like recommendation. It's just an honest admission that no one has any idea of what the heck they're doing. Every CEO I chat with, everybody is struggling with that question. Hey, if I if I hire all over the world, do I just pay my local salaries no matter where they are? Do I pay salaries that are local to them? What's the right way to do it? And there's people on both sides of the aisle. And wow, it is an interesting, interesting time. So, and yeah, and that, and that and that's where you get lawyers and outsource HR departments involved because now you can get into legalities is it actually legal to pay somebody half of what you pay them in california for the same job just because they live in alabama totally so same thing we've outsourced all that work because you know in the last few months we've hired in malaysia india cameroon places we never would have looked at and and we're not a big company but wow it things have changed so it's it, it it's interesting there's that that old uh what is it? Curse or proverb, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, may you live in interesting times. Wow. It's interesting times right now. It is a fun time to yeah. be a business owner because 
any kind of disruption like this is an opportunity to get an advantage and to win. So it's uh, yeah. it's an interesting time. When you hear a phrase like outsource your admin, mm -hmm. what com what countries do you think of? You think of the Philippines, you think of India, you think of Bangladesh. Okay, there's a new, there's a new player that I keep hearing more and more about, Venezuela. Oh, Latin America, Virtu all over. Virtual assistance is booming in Venezuela right now. It's crazy. So Venezuela, El Salvador, uh, Colombia. I mean, all of these countries that are uh, the phrase nearshore. It's not about geographic nearness. It's about time zone nearness. Yeah. And I mean, I've had teams in the Philippines, in Vietnam. I've I've had folks all over. And the reality is the biggest challenge is the logistics, like time zone balance. Philippines is interesting because there's a lot of people who are used to supporting North American time zones. So you can get a lot of you know labor team members, workers who are used to that time zone shift. Yeah, but, they're 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 entire companies um, that yeah. uh, that do this, yeah. and I met some of their founders where they just uh, they basically just pay people to work the night shift and they're closed during the day because they serve exclusively the U.S. market. I'm familiar with that. Totally. The interesting part about Venezuela that makes it so exciting. So I love that you brought it up. Is the current uncertainty makes foreign payments and foreign payment mechanisms more interesting there because a lot of the local payment mechanisms are just so risky. Yeah, they're really excited about you know things like like PayPal or Venmo or whatever payment mechanism you're using. So there's a, a totally agree that Venezuela specifically, but also just that whole area of the world generally. Yeah. We're going to see a ton of employment there. And if if I were in Venezuela, what would excite me is the fact that my income came from somewhere other than that shit show I lived with every day. A hundred percent. I'll give you I'll give you a quick example. So again, we're not a customer right now. We used to be. I have nothing but good things to say about them. But one of the the service providers that helps with that is you assist me. The letter U yeah. assist me. I've heard of them. Yeah, they're fantastic. And yeah. The part that's so cool is they're used to this idea of supporting someone remotely. So their their time tracking, the reporting, and the quality of their talent is so high. It's really cool because you're gonna have roles as you grow a company where you need full-time hires. Like, yes, right. you're growing your sales team, you're growing your product, you gotta hire headcount. But you, everybody who's listening has work that's a fraction of their time. Like managing their calendar, following up on on maybe general contact us forms or reaching out to local newspapers. If you can carve that off your plate, you can expand your abilities by using fractional help. That stuff, you know, pays us back 10 pays itself back tenfold. So yeah, a big kind of past customer reference for them specifically, but also just broadly, there's a ton of companies that help with this. Well, yeah, and, and also we can look at automation. For example, I tell people that I spend hundreds of dollars a month just on people being able to access me. Uh, let me, let, I, I did a whole webinar about this, but let me just uh, break it down for you. If somebody has my telephone number, they're going to call a toll-free number and press an extension. And with that, it's going to prompt them to say their name. So if you were calling me, you'd press extension 23. Oh, I just gave it out. And, uh, and to say, please state your name. You say, Joseph Fung. Now, what's going to happen next is that is going to attempt to reach me on Skype. It's going to forward out to my Skype. Nice. I have Skype installed on my desktop machine, all my laptops, my tablet, my Chromebook, and three smartphones that I have. So it could potentially reach me in any one of 10 different places. So the idea of... Well, I'll just give out my cell phone number to make myself more accessible. No, that's actually the opposite of accessible for me because now it only goes to one place and I have to be married to this one little device that I don't even like. So that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is, uh, hey, so when's a good time to talk? I don't know. Go to go to www.schedulewithadam.com and put yourself in for the nearest mutually convenient time. Oh, and in the future... Don't ask me the question. Just put yourself in because there's a little field on there that will ask you what, what you want to talk about. That way I know I come prepared. And if it's one of those phone calls, it should have been an email. I'm a big boy. I can reply to it and cancel it, which I probably won't anyway because I'll be happy for the interaction because it's uh, it'll fall within my parameters. So there's that. And I also tell – so I pay $70 to Ring Central every month. Then I pay uh, – 
fifteen dollars to Zoom. Then I pay twenty five dollars to Streamyard. Then I pay uh, like five dollars a month to Skype for the international thing, uh, and for it to have a phone number of its own so I can forward to it. And then I pay seventy seven dollars a month to OneTub, which includes Schedule Once, which means I have a lot of booking forms targeted mm-hmm. towards different areas of my business and different intakes. Uh, that's a lot of money to pay just for somebody to be to have the ability for people to schedule with you. But that's how seriously I take streamlining my incoming communications. And I like to sit back and just watch my calendar fill without me having to do anything. What's also really cool is the system. If it's a Zoom call, it's set, like when you scheduled our interview here, you went to you or somebody working for you went to um, a hidden page that has the scheduler for this call for this podcast and after that after it was scheduled uh you are automatically sent a zoom link so i have those two tied together so it creates our zoom room for us and then i have it set up to automatically record do all this other stuff so that and you probably got three or four reminders that we're going to be meeting today none of that involves a human being having to lift a finger even get out of bed in the morning Uh, i will pay humans to do things like manage my podcast for me because that's where their value is a hundred percent. You named off a ton of great tools and, and riffing on that even further. I mean, there's a ton of email automation. So you could use things like MailShake, like MailChimp to follow up with folks to make sure they get the yeah. automations, uh, the, the calendaring hundred percent. And every major sales tool has that. Now you look at HubSpot, Salesforce, SalesLoft, Calendly, they all yep. have that calendaring. And if you're not using it, you're wasting time booking those meetings. Um, the part that's so cool is those tools, they save you time, they save you energy, they collect super valuable data. What's, so also, can- cool, what's also cool about it is you occasionally get the objection, uh, telling people to go to a scheduler, it's so impersonal, I won't do it. Okay, so you wanna have 10 email back and forth as availability changes and things are asynchronous. You wanna hire a human gatekeeper and have the person who you need to connect with to make a sale at the mercy of your human gatekeeper's availability or perhaps even their unannounced baggage that they're gonna to use to very subtly sabotage the whole thing. Or do you wanna say, oh, here's my link, just go put yourself in. So that way there's never any availability that expires. Uh, they can do it instantly. Like uh, I, you know, one of the things I teach people, if you're doing outreach via LinkedIn or Facebook Messenger, is if you're looking to create a phone call, one strategy you can use if you don't want to do podcasting is uh, just say, hey, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm doing something and I want to get your thoughts on it as somebody who understands this industry. How do I get on your calendar for a quick chat? So instead of, can we hop on the phone real quick? I say, how can I get on your calendar? I assume they have a scheduler link. And a lot of, and when I've used that strategy, a lot of the responses I've gotten had no words in them. It was just some copy pasting their link to me. So I click it, schedule it, and then type, okay, uh, see you Thursday at three o'clock. Looking forward to it. That's it. Totally. You, and you hit the big thing. Like there's, there's really three options to do your calendaring. You figure out the old clunky, slow way that ways go back and forth. Yep. You use their calendar link or they use yours. And if if someone's listening to this and they're thinking like, you know, Adam, Joseph, I am not comfortable telling people to use my link because it, it feels rude. Okay. Then you can say something like, you know, do you want to, you know, do we want to play email ping pong and, and figure out a date next week? Or if you have a calendar link, I'm happy to find us some time. Here's mine if you like that better. It's a longer email. I don't like it. But if you are uncomfortable with just asking them to use the link. There's a really elegant way to still suggest that time and meet them where they're at. Let them book that time if they want to do it. Cause I, I tell you, as a, as a busy business owner, yeah, I would much rather just grab time on someone's calendar than waste time back and forth on the emails. It's just yeah. not a good use of energy. The outreach I just described, if their response is cool, send me your calendar link. I'll do it right then and there. I'll just copy paste. It's like, here you go. There you go. And, I, and I'll say, here's a link. I'll watch for it to come in, looking forward to it. You know, I'm going to go even further and, and put it in because you're right. I do the exact same thing. Hey, send me your calendar link. When someone doesn't have a calendar link, they, they say, hey, I don't have one. What days is it? You know what that just tells me? That tells me they don't take their business seriously. So if, if they don't take their business seriously, are they going to take my business seriously? So you got to have one, even if you don't feel totally comfortable because your customers are expecting it. 
wow, that's, uh, that's great. So we are actually at the top of our time here. So I know that you had something you shared with me that you want to share with our listeners. So I'm going to give you the four for one minute to do that. Oh my goodness. Thank you. A- Adam, we get a ton of business owners who say, how, how can I scale my sales team? How can I hire great sales reps? If anybody's interested, they can hit us up, uvaro.com. We help people launch amazing sales careers. And I mean, it's our biggest passion. How do we help people launch amazing careers? So we're happy to make those connections. Let me know. Happy to help out. All right. Absolutely. So it's www.uvaro.com. U-V-A-R-O. Uh, Joseph Fung, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor. And as my uh, pad of paper in front of me would tell you, believe me in education. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.